We are starting a brand new year, as you know, and uh, November 21st was where we left off in the book of, of uh, Philippians, and uh, actually where we are landing right today is, uh, I think it's a perfect spot to kick off the year, uh, challenging each one of us to uh, grow, mature, uh, stretch ourselves spiritually um, so that our walk with Christ makes some progress. And we have to be intentional about that. So um, we are going to be going to Philippians chapter 3, uh, looking at verses 10 through 14. But before we do, you're going to see a photo uh, on the screen, um, a man who refused to salute Adolf Hitler. Um, you can see his arms crossed. <laughs> August Landmesser, right here. Uh, you can see his, his, both his arms are down, and uh, everybody around him um, offers the Sieg Heil um, to Hitler. And uh, Landwesser was 26 years old at the time of this photograph. Um, He's the lone, really lone German worker in the shipyards where this was taken, who refused to give that salute. But he wasn't always a dissident. You have, we have to go back in time because he initially identified himself as a member of the Nazi party. And for two years, he was committed. You know, he was all in for Adolf Hitler and his leadership in Germany. But something happened after two years that changed his mind. He met a woman, Irma Eckler, in 1933. Uh, their love story really had a drawback because Eckler was Jewish. The party revoked uh, Landmaster's membership, denied him a marriage license, and by the time this 1936 photo was taken, Hitler's anti-Semitism was well known throughout the area. Is it any wonder that Land Messer refused to salute? It's a good question. He had fallen in love with a Jewish woman. He had been refused to marry her. The couple, um, Irma and August, uh, tried to leave Germany for Denmark in 1937. They were detained at the border for dishonoring the race. And so authorities told Landmesser that he was going to have to stop seeing Eckler, which he refused to do. There was a price for that. And of course, both of them were arrested in 1938. He was sent to a concentration camp. Irma was sent to a prison. They never saw each other again. She died in 1942 in that prison. He was later drafted into the war in 1944, and shortly thereafter, he was declared MIA. He figured, I'm not going to commit to this cause. And so the question is, was it worth it for August Landmesser to disavow his loyalty to the Nazi party? And friends... Um, Landmaster made a decision, and it was because of a relationship. 
Um, he was committed to uh, the Nazi party until he fell in love. It's amazing what love can do to an individual. And so because of that, uh, he did pay a huge price. But his example is something that you and I can draw on, I believe, in 2022 because of this simple fact that somewhere along the line, we have got to commit our loyalties to something. And, and some of you might be thinking, you know what? I don't have to do that. I'm not ready to do that. I want to be my own person. Well, listen, by not doing it, you're doing it. And so pushing the envelope this morning, just like August had to disavow the Nazi party because of his love for Irma Eckler, friends, we ourselves have to express our loyalty, our commitment, hopefully, to Jesus Christ. And there's a great time, the beginning of 2022, to do that very thing. I don't know where you've landed spiritually. Maybe you're an atheist, an agnostic. Maybe you're somebody who's asking a lot of questions. God doesn't make sense. Maybe you've been a follower of Christ for a while. That's all good. But we want to encourage you, no matter where you're at in your spiritual journey, that you would pursue this cause for Christ. That ultimately you will place your loyalty to him and disavow your loyalty to yourself and to the culture all around us. That's quite liberating, in fact. And um, <laughs> so we could cross our arms this morning, you know, and kind of show that for us, you know. Uh, I'm not going to give in to the pressure around me. Uh, if you're in school, if you're at work, in a neighborhood, whatever the case may be, it's so much easier to go along with the crowd, Right? Yes or no? Yes. Yeah, man, that's easy street. Everybody else is doing it. Imagine the pressure August felt when everybody else around him had their hand raised and he was the lone person not doing it. Well, that's kind of where we are this morning. And so just like the Apostle Paul did not allow his spiritual fire to diminish over time, it's a great example for us today to follow what Paul did and what he expresses in these verses that we're going to be looking at momentarily. But just the thing, I just, uh, I just finished the book of Job, and, and in Job 31.1, Job made a commitment as a man. He said, I made a covenant with my eyes not to look with lust at a young woman. That's a good commitment. If we're going to pursue Christ as a man, I think that's a that's a great thing to do. You make that promise, and I'm not going to do that. Daniel, in Babylon, in Daniel 1.8, Daniel was determined not to defile himself. So what Job and Daniel show us is we have to be committed to making the right choices in our lives. Because if we're going to let life push us into a corner to run us over, to push their core values on us, it's going to happen unless we stand up and say, no, I'm committing my life to Jesus Christ and what he stands for. So that's the message for today. Before we get there, let's go to the book of Philippians uh, chapter 3. 
verses 10 through 14. Paul says, I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. I want to suffer with him, sharing in his death, so that one way or another I will experience the resurrection from the dead. I don't mean to say that I have already achieved these things or that I have already reached perfection, but I press on to possess that perfection for which Christ Jesus first possessed me. No, dear brothers and sisters, I have not achieved it, but I focus on this one thing, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God, through Christ Jesus, is calling us. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word this morning. Thank you for the opportunity we've had to sing, to tell you how great you are with our voices and the lyrics. Lord, thank you for this chance we've had to be together as a family, and we sure appreciate that. And God, as we stand at the beginning of a brand new year, we want and we need to be intentional about which direction we're going to go. If we don't set the rudder, that winds will blow us wherever they take us. But Lord, by setting the rudder early, we will reach our destination. And that's what we want. And so we pray this morning, oh God, that you would have the freedom and the liberty to challenge us, to change us, to become more like you. That's what we want. In Jesus' name, amen. Lisa Whittle um, wrote this article called The Sick of Me Life. In Psalm 142.5, she starts... Then I pray to you, O Lord, I say, you are my place of refuge. You are all I really want in life. And I thought, what a great verse, man. The, the longer I'm living for Jesus Christ, being a Christ follower, this verse resonates within me because it seems like everything that at one time was valued or was foundational in our culture, those things are going away. And so really what stands day after day, year after year, decade after decade is Jesus Christ. You are all I really want in life, Lord. Because when, at the end of the day, that's all that really matters. And so she says, I must be honest, I need God to consume me more than my life currently does. The truth is, I'm sick of me. Maybe you can say that about yourself. I'm sick of me. I'm sick of being hot and cold for God, depending on my circumstance. I'm sick of wrestling with the same things I've wrestled with for most of my life. I want God. The sick of me life says, I'm tired of being halfway in with God. I want to get off the spiritual roller coaster where I'm good one minute and the next minute I don't want to pray or read my Bible. I want to make progress. I want to be free from the chains that have kept me bound. I'm tired of trying to control everything. I want to finally know and rest in God's ability to take care of it all. Here's something beautiful. If we want God in all these areas and in any way we need him, we can have him. But we have to be tired of our usual life. 
You could say the same old, same old, right? We have to get to the point where we say, I'm sick of me. It is in this posture of humility where God can change things. It is here that he moves, alters, heals, and takes over, assuring us with his love while helping us change. He wants us to come to the end of ourselves so he can redeem and use our life because it shows him we want him more than anything else. That's what he wants most too. And we know in Romans 8.29, Jesus chose us to become like his son. God the Father chose us to become like his son. That should be our goal for 2022. That should be our mission statement for our life, that as we live our lives over the years, we will become more and more like Jesus Christ. It's a good place to be. Our number one goal for 2022 should be we will be more like Jesus at the end of this year. It's good. So Paul, the Apostle Paul who wrote this letter to the church at Philippi, let's take a look at a map so we just kind of put it in perspective. Uh, Paul in, at the time is in Rome. This is the literal headquarters. It's the epicenter for, for government in the world. They rule the world at this time. Paul uh, was uh, arrested because of his preaching about Jesus Christ, you know. That's something good. He got arrested for it, and the Romans brought him back to Rome under house arrest. And Philippi right here, uh, that's where the church is. Paul is 800 miles away. He and his team went into Philippi. They, there, there was no church uh, teaching about Jesus Christ, so they spent some time there, planted a church, and then they were forced out because their lives were at th they, their lives were threatened. And so now, ten years after planting this church, Paul is writing to the church in Philippi. What's the condition that he's under? Well, George is a Praetorium soldier, a Praetorium soldier in the Roman army. They were the elite of the elites. They were trained, man. They, they were the security team around Caesar. And usually it was after they had spent the time in the military, they retired and became politicians. They lived a very affluent life. So Paul, being under house arrest, he doesn't have a, he doesn't have a bracelet put around his ankle so they could watch him on a GPS or on a drone to find out where he's at. No, he's locked in to this house to a praetorium guard. And this chain shows the distance to which Paul and the praetorium guards were, 18 inches. One end was attached to a praetorium guard, the other end was attached to Paul. Paul, you would think, in writing this letter, his number one goal, let's say for a brand new year, was for God to get him out of house arrest. He would say, I am sick and tired, God, of being locked into a praetorium guard. I want to be liberated so I can become more effective for you. Those of us living in America, that's the way we would pray. Get me out of this chain. I'm tired of it. It's too restricting. I don't want it anymore. Life isn't fair, right? That's kind of the road we'd go down. Paul... 
doesn't go down that road at all. In fact, he's grateful he's attached to Praetorium Guards because he can talk to them about Jesus Christ. The influence they have, it spreads throughout Rome, which is a good thing. So that's kind of the background, once again, on, on the Apostle Paul. And uh, before we dive in, I just want to uh, kind of turn the corner. Pastor David Jeremiah, uh, pastor's out in California, and he wrote this, Are you ready for the new year? A New Year's resolution. This is what he said, no one knows what 2022 holds, so don't enter this year alone. Take Christ with you. People are living in fear. I know many around the world are crippled by anxiety, desperately searching for hope, wondering if life will ever return to normal. I hate to see anyone anywhere living in such fear, no matter the circumstances. It's moments like these that cause people to question their purpose here on earth and wonder if there's any hope to cling to beyond their pain. Yet, in the many tragedies and disasters I've observed throughout my lifetime, I am as certain as the sun rising in the east that there is always hope. Our Creator is fully aware of the troubles we face in this present world. He sees each tear that falls. But his plan for our lives isn't perpetual fear and anxiety. His plan is for us to lean on him, to trust him with our time on this earth, and believe that he is a good father who loves his children. I also know that I serve a God of miracles, and I am confident in his ability to do mighty things in calm, raging seas. And so I'm praying for healing, for restoration, for people to experience a hope that conquers all fear. Maybe this morning you are living in fear. Maybe you are overloaded with anxiety. The cool thing is, this is the way I see it, is to be able to come to the creator of our lives and unload that on him because he's big enough to handle it. You don't need to carry it on. You don't have to carry it alone. And so he continues, if you aren't sure of Christ's involvement in your life, this is a perfect day for getting a fresh start with him. Turn to God from idols and determine to serve Christ as you await his return from heaven. God loves you. He became a man who lived perfectly. When he died on the cross, he shed his blood to cover your sins. Begin this year by asking him to be your Savior and your Lord. Learn to walk with him, serve him, and know how the future unfolds, and he cares for you. Commit your life to Christ now at this moment and enjoy his blessing throughout the coming year and the years to come. It's a good challenge. David Jeremiah has been around for a long time, and he's seen a lot of things, and he can speak with clarity and honesty. And this challenge, don't go through this year alone. Take Christ with you. That's what Jesus wants. He wants to walk through this new year with you every step of the way because nobody in this room knows what the future holds, but God does. And so we can trust him. And so maybe you're here today and you've never put your faith in Christ and you don't have a relationship with him. Right on the front end this morning, you can invite him in. You can talk to the creator of the universe, and he listens. He doesn't have a hold button. 
He doesn't have a computer-generated voicemail. Don't you get tired of those? (laughs) He's always waiting to listen. And you can say, dear Lord Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner. One sin is enough to separate me from a holy God. And so I ask for your forgiveness. And I know you will forgive me. Because I believe you died for my sins and you rose from the dead. And I repent of my sins and I invite you to come into my life. And I will trust you, Lord, for the rest of my life. Through the help of your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. That, my friend, is the greatest decision anybody could ever make because our soul lives forever. And here's the thing, that God loves you and I so much, he gives you and I the freedom to choose him or reject him because that's what love does. And when you choose to put your faith in Christ, his love is poured into you. And we, in turn, can love him back. But if you choose to reject him, he will give you your decision. And it is eternity away from him forever and ever. So make that choice. It's a good one. Number one in your notes, Paul says, I want to know Christ. Verse 10, 11. I want to know Christ. I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. I want to suffer with him, sharing in his death, so that one way or another I will experience the resurrection from the dead. It it goes along with um, Lisa Whittle's article, The Sick of Me Life. I can identify with Lisa quite well because uh, there was a time in my early 20s that I had this concept, an idea of what God and how God would work in my life. And when that didn't happen, I felt like God didn't love me. He didn't care about me. He abandoned me. And so basically, I, I, my world shrunk to me where I felt sorry for myself. You know, woe is me. And um, kind of ticked off at God. And so there was a process there that finally I realized, you know what? I'm not going to live the rest of my life like this because this is not a good place. It really isn't. And so I had to recommit my life to Christ. I had to ask him to forgive me of those selfish thoughts and ideas that I had and basically say, Lord, let's start this thing all over. Let's hit the reset button and I will commit whatever you want to do in my life and through my life, I'm good with it. I don't care what it looks like. I don't care where I go. I'm giving thumbs up to you. And I'll tell you, that was the tipping point, the turning point for my life. It was. And like she talked about, the roller coaster. You know, I'm good with God. I'm bad with God. I'm good with God. Up and down, inconsistency. So when Paul says, I want to know Christ Paul is saying, listen, I've been doing this for 30 years. I'm, I'm backtracking in my mind to the, the road to Damascus where Jesus came after me, knocked me off my horse, got my attention, 
It's there that I put my faith in Jesus. 30 years later, man, I want to know him. I want to know more. I want to think about that. 30 years. Some of you have been married for 30 years. It's so easy to get into a rut, isn't it? To keep that relationship on fire and growing, it takes an investment on your part, doesn't it? It sure does. Paul recognizes that same thing, man. Left by himself, he would coast and cruise and slowly drift away from this committed relationship with Jesus. And he says, I don't want any part of that. I want to know Christ. So I want to know everything about him. And Paul is saying, man, this, this race that I'm in, because he gets into this athletic imagery in a few verses, that he's running this race, he's in his lane, he's where God wants him to be, and he's continuing to run with passion. He hasn't lost that fire. He does say in Galatians 5, 7, and 8, you were running the race so well. Who held you back from following the truth? It certainly isn't God, for he is the one who called you to freedom. So what Paul is doing and saying here is that he is committed to crossing the finish line. That's always in front of him. He's committed to crossing the finish line. He's writing to the church in Galatia here, you were running the race so well. Maybe you're here this morning watching online, you were running the race so well. What's happened? Who's holding you back from following the truth? How come you're coasting and cruising? How come you're drifting away from God? How come your relationship with him has gone cold? Why is that happening? January 2nd, 2022 is a good time to be transparent and to be honest, why is that happening in your life? What are you doing? What are you not doing? It's allowing this drift, this coast, with your relationship with Jesus. For Paul, the prize is the finish line. To be like Christ. A way that we can know Christ, and, and I'll tell you, a very practical way for me, uh, dealing with inconsistencies and the roller coaster approach to our relationship with Christ, something that helped bring stability and consistency for me was getting a Bible reading plan. And you've got them nearby. And we believe at Life Church in God's Word, we believe it's true. You can base your life on it. We believe you can get wise counsel from God's Word. It's in God's Word that you can find the character of God and find out who He is and His characteristics, not what you hear through media or through other people, but you read for yourself. And basically, the Bible is love letters written to you from the creator who created your life. And so, I am grateful. About 42 years ago, I was on staff at a church in the Chicago area. And 
we had a custodian who we, had, we would talk from time to time, and he said, hey, do you have a Bible reading plan? And at the time, I didn't. One of the frustrating things for me is every day, where am I going to read today? You know, uh, where are you going to read today? And, and so to take that element of anxiety out of your life, you already know where you're going to read today because you have a Bible reading plan. See, it, and so you know where you're going every single day. It doesn't give you the excuse and out, well, I don't know where I'm going to read today, so I'm not going to read. You know, that's how, that's how that little voice in the back of our brain works. Isn't it weird? Yeah. So R.T. Kendall, he's... He's 86 years old, and he posted this blog, How Much Do You Read Your Bible? And he said, this is the most important blog I've written in many years. A melancholy fact, most Christians do not have a Bible reading plan. Most Christians do not read their Bibles regularly. Some Christians do not read their Bibles very much at all. And some church leaders do not read their Bibles. So I'm aiming this blog at ordinary Christians. My followers are not clergymen or church leaders, but ordinary followers of Christ. I am convinced that the devil will do anything to keep people from reading their Bibles. Has the devil succeeded with you? How much do you read your Bible? Now you might say, you know, I didn't come to church to get a guilt trip. This is not a guilt trip. Please don't take it as that. Hey, we're, we're encouraging. We need to encourage each other. You know, I'm so grateful for my friend who was a custodian who challenged me to get into a Bible reading plan. I'm grateful. He cared, see? Mm. So I'm grateful in particular for two things in my life, Kendall says. First, my parents taught me to read my Bible daily. The thought of not reading it at least a chapter a day in the Bible was out of the question. And Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, my chief mentor, introduced me to a Bible reading plan many years ago. A Bible reading plan keeps you in the Word, Dr. Jones used to say to me. So how much do you read your Bible? I urge you to find a one-year Bible reading plan. If you don't like the ones that are on the chairs, there's plenty out there. In fact, There are Bibles that have the Bible reading plans built into them. So find a plan that you like and never, never, never stop reading it. The very thought that the devil does not want you to do this should galvanize every true Christian to want to fall on their knees to pray more and read the Bible more. Here's the thing. Read the Bible and you will be thrilled to discover how often God gives you or speaks to you directly through it. Please read your Bible through the year. The Bible is the Holy Spirit's greatest product. One very, very famous Christian said that if he had his life to live over, he would spend more time reading the Bible than reading books about the Bible. You will never be sorry. Also, you will never be the same again. And I could say, yo, to that. Because I'm telling you, man, I've been reading the Bible, same plan, I started in Genesis yesterday, Matthew 1 yesterday, Psalm 1 yesterday for 43 years. And I'm telling you, every time I go through reading the Bible, I see something I never saw before. Why? Because my life is in a place where it wasn't before. 
God's word is relevant. And he speaks through his word. And he challenges us, man. It is so cool to be challenged by the Holy Spirit when you read God's word because you see the character of Christ and you realize, well, man, I've got some work to do here. See? God's not done with me yet, and I'm, I've got to pursue that. See, that's the motivation, man. That's what Paul's talking about. I want to know him. Because there's so much more. I'm chained to this guard. There's sm- this guard is exposing areas in my life that I need more of Christ in. So, Paul says, I want to know him. I want to know everything there is to know about Jesus Christ. Because the more I know about him, the more I realize I don't know about him. And that's why when you read the Bible, you realize, man, I thought I knew it, but there's so much more in God's word that I don't know. That's what keeps it alive. That's what keeps the fire burning. That's what the passion in this relationship to want to know Jesus more because you realize how much he loves you. Number two, Paul says, I haven't arrived yet. Verse 12a, I don't mean to say that I have already achieved these things or that I have already reached perfection. Do you see where Paul's going? He's saying, I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. And after saying that, he says, I, I've got so much more to, to learn. I'm not satisfied. I haven't arrived yet. Paul is ad- admitting that he's not perfect. Aren't you, <laughs> aren't you glad for that? When you hang around somebody that they come across as being perfect, you know, it just kind of makes you feel not good. <laughs> we'll put that in earthly, earth, earthy words there. You just don't feel good about yourself, man. <laughs> come on. <laughs> we struggle with our identity. Yeah, that's true. But those people, man, those perfectionists, they just make you feel even worse. So Paul's saying, man, I'm not there. You know, this, this dissatisfaction that's driving Paul, it's motivating. It's the motivating factor for him to press on in his relationship with Jesus. And Paul is saying, even though I'm chained to a praetorium guard, I want to know Christ more. These guards that come in, when they change shifts, they're, I'm seeing areas in my life that I need the Holy Spirit to continue to work on in my life. Man, I, I just need more work, you know? Not that he's beating himself down, but he's using it as fuel to keep pressing on in that relationship with Christ. Paul's saying, man, I haven't arrived. I'm not perfect. I haven't made it. And I'm not going to put it on cruise control. Because I've been doing this for 30 years, I could simply put this on cruise control, man. I am, I am an apostle, you know. God's got my picture on his refrigerator. That's how important I am. No, Paul doesn't go down that road. Not at all. So when he says uh, I, that I have reached perfection, he's talking about being complete. Being complete in Christ, and I'm not there. The Phillips translation puts it this way, I do not consider myself to have arrived spiritually. That's a good place to be, man. I'm not there. I'm not there. 
The message says, I'm not saying that I have this all together, that I have it made, but I am well on my way reaching out for Christ, who has so wondrously reached out for me. So what's Paul talking about? I haven't arrived yet. Um, Dr. Robert Clinton, he's a professor um, of leadership at Fuller Theological Seminary, and he's done research over the years with, uh, with leaders in ministry. And he said, I believe that more than 70% of leaders do not finish well. He bases it on statistics with six criteria. I'm just going to go through four. The first one is those who don't finish well lose their learning posture. They stop learning. They feel like they've learned enough and they don't have to learn anymore. We could say the same thing about being a follower of Christ. I don't need to read the Bible because I know it all. You know, I, I went to Sunday school. I went through all the Bible stories. I'm good. Second, the attractiveness of their character wanes. In other words, uh, whole, having people hold them accountable, that begins to drift. Um, their character becomes compromised. Things that they want to do in the, in the past, but over time, they become comfortable and they start compromising. Number three, they stop living by their convictions. They had core values that they live by. Those convictions slowly drifted away along with their intensity for integrity. And sixth, they lose their once vibrant relationship with God. And that's really the foundation of it all. They lose their once vibrant relationship with God. Paul is saying, man, I've, I've done this for 30 years, and I've, I've seen people around me where they've done it for 10 years, 20 years, and they start coasting and cruising, and I see them become casualties spiritually. Friends, when you start coasting, when you start losing the intensity, you know, um, that vibrant relationship with Christ, if you're not intentional about it, the weeds start to grow in your life. And there's a price to be paid. And so, Dr. Clinton says, most drop out, most plateau spiritually. How is that with you? How's that going for you today? Are you plateauing? Are you coasting? Are you cruising? Are you cold spiritually? Psalm 37, 34, here's a good word of wisdom. Put your hope in the Lord travel steadily along his path. I'll, I'll be honest with you, that, that's an anchor for me. You know, we can get all worked up about, you know, I've got all these commitments I'm going to make for this new year. You know, here's mine. Put your hope in the Lord and travel steadily along his path. Yeah. Travel steadily. That's putting one foot in front of the other. That's not allowing distractions or life beating you up and getting you off the path, but it says travel steadily along his path. That's what my commitment is. I want to travel steadily on the Lord's path for my life, one day at a time. How do you want to live your life through 2022? Live it one day at a time. Today I'm going to live for Jesus Christ. I'm going to honor him with my life. The decisions I make are going to be glorifying to him. It's one day at a time. December 31st, you can look back and say, wow, thank you, Lord. You know, you were faithful. We sang about it today. You were faithful. So 
And then Ecclesiastes 7.8, finishing is better than starting. Right? Starting is so exciting. The gun goes off and you blast out of those blocks on the track. You know, the adrenaline's pumping, but after 30 years, I'm tired. <laughs> I'm worn out. <laughs> Whatever the case, man. Ecclesiastes says finishing is better than starting. Keep that in mind. You might be just starting in your walk with Christ. Live it one day at a time. Keep it fresh, man. Keep it rolling. That's where Paul again says, I press on, meaning I'm not where I want to be. I'm going to keep moving in that right direction. You can't be passive about your Christian life. Maybe you've already realized that. Men's Fraternity, which meets on Monday nights, Ken Bright moderates that, and they'll be starting up here pretty soon. But they, uh, Men's Fraternity has four characteristics of authentic manhood. These are core values for men to live by. The first one is they reject passivity. Why? Because men, naturally, when they're left on their own, are passive. We're passive. So we reject passivity. Number two, men accept responsibility. They take on responsibility. I have to tell you, there's times when I'm dealing with situations where I have to remind myself, I'm a man, I'm responsible, I got to step out. Even though I don't feel comfortable in this right now, I got to push myself because I'm taking responsibility. Just reading through the book of Job, God has a conversation with Job. He says, brace yourself like a man. Because I have some things I want to talk to you about. What's that about? If you're a man, brace yourself like a man. You're a man. Resist passivity. Take responsibility. Number three, they lead courageously. You lead courageously. Maybe you're the only ones with your arms crossed and everybody else has their hands up. You lead courageously. And number four, you expect God's greater reward. What's that about? That's when you finish the race. You cross the finish line and you get your reward from heaven, from Jesus Christ himself. You expect God's greater reward. That's what keeps you going. So Martin Dion, he's a Bible teacher, put it this way. Self-satisfaction is the death of progress. Self-satisfaction is the death of progress. You want to kill yourself spiritually? Hmm? Just become satisfied where you're at spiritually. Yeah. I'm good. You know, I'm good. So I was thinking this morning, what, just kind of pushing the envelope a little bit from 2022, man. Like when we have opportunities to sing, instead of just standing there humming the lyrics, you know, or just reading them, you know, I don't have a good voice. God gave you your voice. He knows what you sound like. Push the diaphragm. I will sing with passion, with expression, because I love Jesus Christ. And he's going to hear me. Instead of thinking about it, sing it. Sing it, man. And that encourages all the people around you as well, man. And, and another thing we could say, hey, I'm going to commit to being on time on Sundays, you know, starting on the front end of a year. I'm going to commit to being on time because here's the thing. 
when you come in after the singing or the first or second song, you've lost some opportunity there. From being from start to finish, God's Spirit is here, and He wants to do some cool things in all of our lives. And you're robbing yourself, really, of, of the potential that God has for you, you know? And part of this, being on time so you could sing all those songs. Not some of those songs, but all the songs. And then another thing is, commit to being in church on Sundays. Uh, I, I have to tell you, man, I was grieving this past week because I hadn't seen you since last Sunday. Because we were off on family night, you know? It, something's missing, right? To be together and to think when you come to church on Sundays, man, God is using Sunday by Sunday as a building block in your life spiritually. What you took from last Sunday, he's going to build on it this Sunday. Next Sunday, he's going to build on it even more. So your foundation, man, and we're living in days where if you don't have a foundation spiritually, those buildings are coming down. So we need to commit because Jesus said, I'm coming back for my bride, which is the church, the church. When we don't put worth and value on being in church, we're saying to, to Jesus, the bridegroom, I don't care about what you care about. If we call ourselves followers of Christ, we should value what he values. And he values the church. And he values the body of Christ, which is you. And man, we need each other, don't we? We sure do. So just some food for thought on the front end of 2022. So spiritual dissatisfaction is a great place to be, you know? It's like, I'm not content. I want to I wanna know Christ more. Jesus said in Matthew 5, 6, God blesses those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be satisfied. We have to hunger and thirst for that. We see Paul's attitude even in 2 Timothy 4.13. He said, when you come, be sure to bring the coat I left with Carpus at Troas. Also bring my books and especially my papers. Paul is in a dungeon in Rome now. He's not under house arrest. He's in a dungeon. He's on death row. He's on the brink of being executed. And so in the final days of his life, he's asking Timothy to bring his coat, his book, and papers. In other words, he may die tomorrow. He may die next week but he's going to continue growing spiritually no matter when the end comes. You see that? You say, well, my life is at an end. I, I, you know, I'm, I'm at an older age right now. I don't need to learn. I know everything. No, no, no. Paul is on death row, and he's continuing to learn, to grow in his walk with Christ. Amy Carroll tells this cool story about their family dog, called B.C. His nickname was Houdini. And after you hear his story, you'll know why. Houdini's a very good name for him because she says he was a cause for great distress. He was a long hound with short legs and truly an escape artist. There he is. He's saying hi to you, by the way. 
She said, there's no fence high enough, no enclosure secure enough to keep him contained. BC scaled or dug or jumped or schemed his way to freedom outside our yard on a regular basis. Because our whole family adored him, despite his wandering heart, we worked and worked to keep him home. We built a fence we believed would protect him from the outside world. Our boys played and snuggled with him. BC was fed healthy dog food and healthy snacks. <laughs> he had toys in a soft dog bed. Sounds kind of nice, doesn't it? And yet, BC wandered. He never stayed home. He roamed the neighborhood, and sometimes we got reports of him from the streets miles away. He always came home eventually, sometimes pursued by the dog catcher, but our family worried about him when he left the safe haven of home. And how, how I identify with BC's wandering ways. These words from the hymn, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing express my life. Oh, to grace, how great a debtor. Daily I'm constrained to be. Let thy goodness like a fetter bind my wandering heart to thee. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart. Oh, take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. Prone to wander. She continues, God's created a place of safety with me within his word. His commandments are designed to protect me, not restrict me. God gives me the good gifts of his mercy, grace, and forgiveness to remind me to stay near him. He pours his love on me and draws me deep into his family, and yet sometimes my heart still wanders. I spent 14 years chasing BC around our neighborhood. My love for him kept me pursuing him and finding ways to keep him safe in our yard. God's love is, same, is the same towards us. Let us join the Lord in staying in the protective boundary lines he's given us by praising and rehearsing his faithful ways. Doing so, we'll bind our wandering hearts to God and keep us safe in the nurturing places he's created for you and me. Sometimes, she says, my heart still wanders. I ignore his truth and make decisions that launch me outside of the safety of his guidelines. I harbor wrong thoughts. These choices and others can take away from God's heart, and yet he longs to draw me home again. The opening verses of Psalm 103 provide a key to keeping my wandering heart close to God. Let's read those together, shall we? You ready? Let all that I am praise the Lord. With my whole heart, I will praise his holy name. Let all that I am praise the Lord. May I never forget the good things he does for me. He forgives all my sins and heals all my diseases. He redeems me from death and crowns me with love and tender mercies. He fills my life with good things. My youth is renewed like an eagle's. Amy Carroll put it well. BC's prone to wander. We're prone to wander too, aren't we? That's why we need to grow in our relationship with Christ. To know him, we haven't arrived yet. And so this morning, friend, how is it with your relationship with the Lord? Is there passion to want to know Christ more? Are you dissatisfied 
with where you're at spiritually today. You can talk to the Lord right here, right now. That one thing, you can say, Lord, this is the one thing that's holding me back, and I want you to forgive me of it. So that in 2022, we can start fresh. What's the one thing that's holding you back in your walk with the Lord? Maybe you can say, I don't want to wander anymore. Lord, let's start new today. Is how I commit reading your Bible consistently, spending time with you in prayer in 2022 by the grace of Almighty God. Father, we thank you that even though Paul hasn't been running this race for 30 years, he still had passion to exert in this relationship, to invest with you. He never tired of it, Lord. He never got bored with it. It was new every morning for Paul. And Lord, I pray that we would transfer what Paul challenges us in this new year, that we will apply it to our own lives, that we will commit to 2022 as being the best year of our lives with you, Lord. But we need your Spirit's help. And so we're trusting you, the Spirit of the living God, to empower us to follow after Christ one day at a time. And Lord, we humble ourselves before you. We simply say, I don't have all the answers. I don't have it all together. I'm not perfect. But I want to press on in 2022 to model the character of Christ even better in my life. So help me, Lord, to do that. In Jesus' name, amen.